Welcome to the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. If you find money to be the number one, two, or even third largest source of stress in your relationship, then you're in the right place. Going beyond how to budget, invest, and do your taxes, we're going to explore financial intimacy. Discover how to talk with your partner about your shared financial life. Let's take the awkward and painful out of money conversations. Join me and hit follow to listen to weekly inspiring, healing, and motivating interviews with financial therapists, couples therapists, and financial planners, and so many more. Let's go on the journey of financial intimacy together. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. I have Cozy Whitman with me today, and she's an education specialist with College Inside Track. Her whole jam is college funding. And just before the show started, we started talking. I was like, oh, wait, wait, no, we got to record this. This is too good to miss. (laughs) So, Cozy, welcome to the show. And I'm so excited to hear about your expertise with college funding. Yeah, thanks, Ed, for having me. Um, I'm super passionate about this, so um, I'm excited to have the opportunity to share more information. Awesome. So tell me, what's led to this passion around college funding? I don't know that it's always been that way for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, I always tell people, um, especially parents who want their kids to like choose a career, if you want some good humor, go out and look at my LinkedIn page. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, 10 years ago, if you had told me I would be talking to people about how to think more creatively and strategically about how to pay for college, um, I would have laughed, right? Because uh, that was not the space I was hanging out in. I got involved in this because I have five kids of my own. Each and every single one of them had a different goal for what their future was going to hold. And I always want people to know, like, I'm not a college bigot. I don't think everybody needs to go to college. Uh One of my kids did not. Um, That was not his pathway. Sure. Um, One of our kids was a D1 volleyball player and she got her degree, but she's using her knowledge in a really different way, right? And helping volleyball players. And then I had kind of three traditional kids. So I think... Every kid's path is different. I want people to understand that um, any path that keeps kids moving forward is appropriate. But if that path happens to be college, then you need to be thinking more creatively and strategically about it. Wow, that's so validating because I know the anxiety about what will my kids do as they launch the family is a major anxiety for so many families. And How did you get to that place? Has that always been kind of your parenting philosophy or did you grow into that as a parenting philosophy? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I can stand up and say I'm a recovering college bigot. Uh, I used to think, Uh, at least for my kids, I didn't think that was true for everybody's kids, but for my kids, everybody was going to college. And then, you know, um, to his credit, my son tried really hard to make his mom happy, you know, and he, he made a couple runs at it. It just wasn't his path. And what happens over time, of course, is that you come to recognize that, hey, he's really miserable and there are a lot of paths he could take. So let's go take one. And as long as you are happy and self-sustaining, what difference does it make to me what job you work in, right? So I think, um, you know, just thinking about it that way. And then the other kind of, you know, where careers are concerned is just having kids think about what do you want to do for the first like three to five years, as opposed to what do you want to do for the rest of your life? Like that's one of the immediate kind of paralyzers for kids is they think like, I can't look for colleges if I don't know what I want to do. And I don't know what I want to do. So I guess I can't look for colleges. And so they spend a lot of time with that pressure. And 
the reality is that that's not how careers work anymore. We don't, you know, choose a career and stay in it for a lifetime. And so as I kind of figured that out with my son, he's my oldest, my younger kids got to benefit from that, right? Mm -hmm. By the time we were done with my last one, I learned so much about the college landscape and how much happens behind the curtain that people can't see. I always think of college like the Wizard of Oz, right? Big benevolent face out here, curtain, and then lots of levers being pulled. And as I learned about those levers, it made me frustrated. It made me angry and sad that so many people just kind of shrug their shoulders and go, well, I I guess we just have to take out loans, right? It doesn't have to be that crazy landscape. And so... I actually had hired College Inside Track for my kids. Okay. And then um, by the time I was done, I had been laid off from a job. And I thought, I just want to evangelize. I just want more people to understand how this works. And so um, stepped into my role and have been loving every last minute of it. Wow. So this really has come out of your own personal transformational journey of trying to navigate launching your five young adults into college and then beyond. And Uh, I really want to back up because in psychology and counseling, we talk a lot about reframing the problem and you reframe the college planning problem beautifully, at least from my perspective, I hadn't thought about it. It was really so simple is let's not think about this as where do you want to be at the end of your career and now pick the right college. Right. It's more like, where, where do you think you see yourself going in the next three to five years or maybe kind of after college? And then let's start working on figuring out where that right place is to move onto that vision. That's right. Because I see it over and over and over again. So we we do free consultations. So I sit down and I meet with families all the time. And you can just see the weight of a career decision and also a college decision. You can see it sitting on top of kids, right? You can mm-hmm. physically see them kind of pushed forward and down. Yeah. And, um, I just want kids to know, one, it's okay if you graduate high school and you have no idea what you want to do. Because guess what? Most kids change their major at least one time. 80% of kids do that. Yeah. So, you know, even the kids who sit in front of me who are like, I definitely want to be an engineer. Those kids are probably going to change their mind. And so um, it's okay if you graduate without that. Then part of the strategy of searching, right, is about Thinking about schools, this is academic fit for the student. We kind of have three pillars we think about. One of them is academic. What are the schools that can kind of help that student figure it out? Mm. Or can have policies in place where you can freely change your mind and not lose time, energy, and still be there in year six, you know? Right. And I think people only know about kind of the traditional approach to college and they know how their big local public institution functions, Uh but they don't know there are 3,000 universities in the U.S., somewhere in that number, depending Mm -hmm. on who you ask. Right, right. Of course. Um, And they all have different philosophies. So, you know, trying to think a little bit more deeply about who can support your student and help them be successful, even if they're sitting in the like, I don't know. I don't know what I want to do space. Right. Wow. 3000 universities. I knew it was a large number, but that's, that's a big number. And you you talked about being a reformed college bigot, which is really evocative, but I really appreciate your vulnerability in sharing that. Can you talk about that experience of being a parent? That's kind of very college focused, maybe even a college bigot to use Mm -hmm. your word Mm -hmm. and maybe a, families that don't have anyone that's like 
high college pressure expectation. What do you see as the difference in working with those two families and how do you help them navigate? Yeah, it's super interesting because I see um, I see a lot of kids who assume this has to be their next path, right? That there's uh-huh. no other option really. Um, I also see kids whose parents are like, I don't care what you choose, just choose some path. But that seems very overwhelming to students, right? If if all the options are my option, then how do I possibly? It's uh, like going back to three thousand schools, and how do I pick it up? Right, know? right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes um, sense. But I think our schools—they're starting to the the pendulum is starting to swing back. You know, so forever in a day, the high schools were just high schools. And whatever you did after, you did after. And I didn't really support your service and energy. And that's kind of how, you know, the 50s and 60s and even 70s were kind of hanging out. And then we took this big swing the other direction to, oh, my gosh, people make a lot more money if they get a four-year degree. So everyone must go. Get right. a and we've kind of ignored the fact that you need to put roofs on houses and someone needs a plumber and someone's got to fix my car and someone's got to build bridges. Right. I think having parents really take a look at how does my child learn best? Uh, What classes are they most successful in or where is their energy highest in? And then thinking about the path that really aligns with that is a good way to go. And um, I do want to point out though, it doesn't mean that that's not a four-year school necessarily. If, if, you know, that's a goal of the student, right? If the student really wants to go to a four-year school, because there are experiential learning colleges where mm. most of the degrees are degrees you would earn by being hands-on all the time. Okay. I also think about that in arts programs. Like my youngest daughter is a dance major. All of her classes were dance and dance related. Every single last one of them. Right. So wow. what's love about that? If you're a dancer, you know. Yeah. Right. So thinking about the environments that can help them be successful. If you're looking at engineering engineering programs potentially that get you in the lab sooner than later if your kid is a better hands-on learner. So, um, you know, just thinking about the best learning style for your student and then who reflects that? There's really kind of a, a, a matching process that's going on here, isn't there? It's about the parents and the student coming together and collaborating and understanding who are you as a young person developing, where are your strengths, what have you shown interest in, and then where can we find universities or schooling that will help you advance in that direction? Is that kind of what you're going after? That's a hundred percent true. And so like, um, I'm going to use an example. There are some schools in the country that make it really easy to double and triple major. Uh-huh. And if I'm a kid that doesn't know what I want to do yet, choosing a school that has this philosophy of, look, when you take your classes, it doesn't matter what classes you're taking. Here's how they'll apply to this giant number of majors we have on our campus. That way, when the student changes their mind, they're not losing speed. Um, They're gaining experience and they're gaining a recognition of the areas that they tend to love a little bit more, which generally feeds itself to figuring out what your major is by junior year, right? So, um, and those do tend to be some of the smaller universities, I think, uh, you know, when we all picture college in our head, we think about the big campus and football games on Saturday and big trees and old buildings. Um, but college doesn't have to look like that, not if that doesn't suit your student. And so 
we think about this melding, if you will, of an academic fit for the student, but also social fit for the student Mm. to really come together to create the colleges that suit the student best. And then, of course, you want to make sure that that aligns with your financial goals for paying for school. So let's go there, right? Because that's that next piece is parents have, I mean, some parents are freaking about funding college when the, the baby's coming home from the the hospital, right? <laughs> right. They're already imagining the student loan debt yep. and everything in between where some parents are, they're not even thinking about it, don't consider it until the day that it arrives That's right. and, and everything in between. So what, what do people need to really know about the financial system of navigating college? What are those big things that people need to be thinking about? Yep. The first that I think comes as a surprise to parents is that the college system today, unlike the system that, like, I'm a dinosaur, so back in the day when I grew up, right, it wasn't just presumed that your parents were going to help you pay for college. The system today, its foundation is that parents are going to help pay for college. Uh, and and why do I say that? I say that because the only loan the student can get by themselves without co-signatures is the federal loan. Over the right. course of four years, that federal loan caps the kids out at $27,000. You know, you can't find the college. Freshmen get $5,500. You can barely get through a welding program with $5,500. Bucks, right. right? Let alone a four-year university. Sure, sure. Um, something like 75% of the schools in the country have tuitions higher than the federal loan covers. So there is a presumption that I, as a parent, am happy to just sign on debt for my student, right? We right. that presumption and kind of foundationally, our college landscape today is built off that assumption. Sure. Which is why, and I understand, right, with this dismissal of the student loan debt, potentially. Yes. Um, why people are so angry, <laughs> you know, like, uh-huh. why are we dismissing debt, right? Because it, it does leave out an entire piece of the conversation. So as parents, uh, that piece of the conversation being like, why is college so expensive, right? And, yes. and why foundationally do we require parents to help? Mm-hmm. So... That's one of the big misperceptions, I think. The other misperception that I run into frequently is, well, if I save, that penalizes us because they perceive like that savings because it's going to go on the FAFSA is somehow penalizing them. There is a direct link between college savings and debt. So collegiate Mm -hmm. debt. So what I say to parents is, look, any savings you put away, I don't care how much it is, is helping your student. That is debt they are not going to take out later. Right. So I always encourage families, right? Just put something away. If it's 10 bucks a month, that's fine. Five bucks a month, that's fine. Right? Just put something because that something is going to build over time and it's growing at rates that are equivalent to or higher than what that student debt is going to cost them later. Right. Yep. So important to keep that in mind and, and to make sure that it's invested properly so you can get ahead of that. Right. That's right. Yeah. Don't just sure. stick it in your bank. Right. Yes. We're not, we're not growing there anymore, but um, yeah. no. And the other thing I think is important on the financials is early in the process, right? Sophomore year, sit down with your student 
And as a family, you need to start talking about what you can afford to pay for a college education. And you want to include your student because at the end of the day, I just talked to a mom over the weekend and she's like, if we can't afford a school, should we actually go tour it? I was like, no, no, you shouldn't. Um, Because guess what's going to happen when you take your kid out to drive the Porsche and then you tell them you're going to buy him a Chevy Malibu. They're going to feel hurt. That's right. That's right. And I know that's a really difficult spot. I'm thinking about a client that I'm working with where they had been, you know, saving some, but the, they hadn't been real financially transparent with the kids. And this is that complex dynamic in the family of when does the family start sharing financial information or what financial information and the, both the stated and unstated promises of funding college all come up at this high school point. And, you know, there's a lot of families that hit kind of a midlife crisis, right. As their kids are launching into college and whether they're going through a divorce or the consequences of an addiction are showing up. Yeah or some other major mental health issue is like all of a sudden now the whole message to the student about how college is going to be funded blown up. Yeah. Yeah. Do do you see that in your work too? I mean, I realize you're not a therapist. You're, you specialize in helping people sort through the college funding, but I imagine the family dynamics show up in these conversations. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say, weirdly, we kind of are therapists. I mean, the, the consultants who work with our clients would tell you they spend as much time kind of anxiety managing families around college specifically, obviously, or the relationship with their student, right? Because the other thing that's happening during this time frame is the student is learning to be away from the parents. And Uh sometimes that's forceful and sometimes it's a little bit more gentle, but either way, there's this natural peeling away that starts to happen. Right. Um, I always tease, um, you know, college search is pretty stressful. And I always tease that that kind of dynamic where people are butting heads during the college search process, the student and the parent is just preparing the parent for the kid to go away. Like by the time it's time for them to go, you're like, go, just go. go. <laughs> and then well, a couple of months later, everybody's sad, you know, it's yeah, like, oh, I miss you so much. And that's good. That's good. Well, I think, you know, from a developmental psychology perspective, we expect there to be a a certain amount of increasing conflict between the parent and the child as the child's trying to become a teenager and become more and more of their own person with their own ideas. And the parent's going through their own grief and loss process. Right. And depending on how well they're navigating that, you know. That's right. Well, and there's this very panicky, right? If you were more of a little bit hands-on parent and really helping manage your student and manage their time and and the student really appreciated that you were managing their time and managing their life, right? There comes this moment in time where you realize, oh my gosh, I'm not going to get to do that anymore. And and you tend to like grip it even tighter, which makes it really challenging sometimes to do a really strategic college search that aligns with who the student is becoming as opposed to the kid that they were, right? Who the adult is emerging. And I think, um, you know, that's mm. where those kind of goal areas are really important to think about um, and, and really set some, here's what we're trying to achieve in each of those areas. And, and it can be, in fact, when we work with families, we, the parents have their own questionnaire, the students have a separate questionnaire, and sometimes they do not cross. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, we have to kind of navigate that middle ground and how do you bring people together and come up with a list of schools that everybody can be really excited about? Yes. 
sorry, I have this other question that's coming up and I'm trying to figure out how to put it into the conversation right now, but it's kind of on that mismatching side of things where uh, I understand there's a lot of parents that have this fear and anxiety that overtly or covertly, this is going to be a waste of money that the kid's going to blow off the college or not appreciate it, be entitled, stuff like that. How often do you see that? What do you, how do you help parents navigate that? And I'm getting the sense that going through the type of process that you guys offer at college inside track really helps to reduce that risk that the college spend is going to be blown, so to speak. Hey everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the healthy love and money podcast. I'm honored that you spend time with me listening to these incredible interviews. I love working with individuals and couples around their financial life, integrating mental health and relational well-being. I'd love to personally invite you into my financial planning practice where I do therapy-informed financial planning, bringing together mental health, relationship health, and financial well-being. If you're thinking that's the type of help you'd like, please see the show notes below to schedule your free 30-minute discovery call. And I'll look forward to seeing you and hearing more about your unique story and how I can best support you. Now, back to the show. Going through the type of process that you guys offer at College Inside Track really helps to reduce that risk that the college spend is going to be blown, so to speak. Yeah, that's right. So one of the very first things we do when we work with families beyond kind of identifying academic goals for the student and social goals is we sit down and create a budget if they don't have one yet for college. Mm -hmm. And we walk through very specific areas that are very kind of real life today, like where is money actually coming from? Not pie in the sky money anymore, yeah. but where is physically money coming from to, to create that budget for college? And so, you know, in doing so, sometimes you run into moments where you just have to help the families understand, look, if you're looking at these schools, but you only have this much money saved, at the end of the day, your gap is huge. How are you going to fill that gap? And yeah. sometimes the answer coming back is, well, that needs to be the student's responsibility. Mm-hmm. So then you have to pull that scenario all the way through to help them understand, one, you're going to have to sign on that debt. And two, here's what the payback looks like on the debt you're talking about. Right. You know? So I think it's really important. So families often come to us with like, mom had this experience. Dad had this experience. Right. And they can't figure out where the middle ground is. And oh, by the way, we would love for our student to have some skin in the game, but they don't quite know how to define that. What does that mean? Uh huh. Yeah. We run some scenarios for them. We help them understand um, the loan landscape because sometimes the answer is look, we'll have our student take out the federal loan Mm -hmm. um, because we want them to own pieces of this, or we want our student to work and that money has to be applied. Right. Right. Or some families will say, you know, if the student took um, more advanced classes, AP, college in the schools, dual credit type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. They put in the hard work to Uh get those grades. They put in the time and the energy. And that physically translates to dollars in college land if the school accepts. So one of the things we try and help families understand is, you know, on the parent side of the equation, where are you guys committing to? And then on the student side, what do you want your student to commit to? And here are a whole bunch of options that you can think about. Because I think there are a lot of people who would like their student to own part of the education, but also recognize that unlike back in the day, it kind of can't work your way through college. 
Like that's not a thing without taking on a ton of debt. The, the jobs that are available to most college students are not sufficient to cover the upfront costs of getting through college. Is that kind of what you're getting right. at? Yeah. yeah, not enough to cover, right? Um, so um, maybe I'll use my own family as an example. We decided sure. our student need to own needed to own a third of okay. their education. Yeah. And then I paid a third and their dad paid a third. Uh-huh. Um, but that meant automatically, because I didn't want my kids to graduate with a ton of debt. My parents did me a huge service and paid for my college education. So I graduated debt-free and I watched my friends struggle. Oh, yeah. That. So I was okay with them having a tiny bit of debt, but it wasn't going to be, you know, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000. The debt so, service was not going to be crippling as they got their first right. jobs. Uh-huh. That's right. And my youngest, right, wanted to be a dancer. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that debt number had to be really low. Um, because so, is that, and I'm getting a little bit ahead, sorry to distract, yeah, but okay. it sounds, this is what's running through my head is you're also talking about what's the future wage earnings of that first three to five years post-college right. likely to look like for you. That's right. That's and that right. becomes so, part of the whole evaluation process as well. So smart, right? To think about those things, right? So one of the things, one of the kind of rules of thumb we recommend that families use is the student really should not be taking out more over the course of the four years than a first year salary, whatever that salary is going to be. Okay. And today, um, a four-year grad, the that first year, roughly $40,000. That's the average starting salary for a four Okay. Year. Yeah. So that's a good kind of guidepost, if you will. Sure. Um, so, you know, when we started thinking about college for our kids, and I, I often tell people our philosophy if they want skin in the game, just to give them a t- talking point, just a starting point, because right. they might go completely a different way. Sure. And that's okay, but if it helped the conversation get going, great. Right. So I kind of wanted my kids to stay under $10,000 of debt. And we didn't have a ton of money saved. We had a little bit in the 529 plan. And so we couldn't, if I wanted my student to pay a third, schools that cost after merit aid, like 60 grand, that couldn't be an option. My, my students can't earn $20,000 a year. That's not a thing for a student. Like top, 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 they might be able to earn three to 5,000, maybe 7,000 if they have a really good summer job. Right, <laughs> you know? right, right. Um, and so. I wanted them to have kind of a realistic skin in the game. And I wasn't going to add a ton of debt on top of that. So what that meant was we had to kind of stick to kind of the $30,000 a year schools. That was kind of our cap personal. Uh Sure. So just taking whatever you have saved, right? Layering it across four years and then Figuring out, like, I want my student to work. Great. There's, let's call it $5,000 for, you know, the sake of argument. I want my student to take out the federal student loan. You get less as a freshman, more as a senior. So level that out at about $6,500. Okay. So now you're building, right, your budget for school. What do I want to contribute as a parent? So it starts to build a plan that everybody can get around. Would you say that? For most families, and I realize there's always exceptions so in these statements, but there is a college path for every family, no matter the income level. Like I, I realize there are probably some true outliers, but by and large, there are great 
to good, good to great universities for any student that wants to get a college education. It's, but you just have, you, you may not know all the levers that are available to you to make that work. That's a hundred percent true. A hundred percent true. I tell every single family, if your student wants to go to college, there's a college that would be excited to have them and yeah. a college that you can afford. Yes. You know, I'm thinking about even my own college experience coming out as a high school. And my parents both had some college, not a huge college push in my family. Mm-hmm. So it was me kind of leading the charge if I wanted to do that. Um, and I was in California and I applied to out of state at University of Oregon. And this is back in the late nineties. And I think the out of state tuition was something in the neighborhood of about $24,000. And I had no idea how my family would come up with that money, but there was no conversations either on the university side (laughs) or on my parents' side saying like, Oh, you really want to do this? Let's, we can figure this out for you. And I mean, I had other factors in my life. I pursued being a professional firefighter and, but part of that like decision node was, I don't think we can afford it. And I don't really know how to ask for support or questions. And so it sounds like what you really provide families is a safe place to really come to the table together and to, to just have an honest conversation. And the nice thing is you don't represent any one university. So you're not, right. you don't really care where they go to school as long as it's a great fit for them and the family. And the family will look back four years, five years later and say, man, we're really happy that this, this happened. Is that kind of what you're, yes. what you guys are getting at? Yeah, a hundred percent. Right. In working with families, the consultant's job is really to manage the process, to help them understand these qualities and this budget would equate to this long list of schools. So let's figure out of this giant list of schools, which schools actually fit you. And I'm going to teach you how to research the college. So you student can decide for yourself who stays and who goes. Right. A family doesn't have, like there isn't that anxiety around the pricing anymore because we've put a prediction on what we think the school is going to cost them. And because we help them build their budget, all the schools that make it to the list are going to align budgetarily. So you know, there's no spring moment where you open the financial package and go, <gasps> you know? Shock, right? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Sometimes yes. it's happy gasps because uh, the college <laughs> came in way better than anticipated. But, right. Um, at the end of the day, we've helped them really maximize all the opportunities for additional scholarship money. And, um, you know, if, if people don't know anything else about the college landscape, it is that the colleges hold the key to the scholarships not the internet. The internet is not your friend. That is not where oh, you college scholarship money. <laughs> if you're just listening, you're not seeing the video. My brain is blowing open right now. And honestly, I was just, before you said this, I was having this like, because I have some of my own college funding anxiety. My wife and I are doing really well in life and planning, but it's like that weight of like, oh, we're going to do this. It's going to crush us. I mean, so I'm, I have my own vested interest in Cozy talking to you. My son's <laughs> starting sixth grade. So we still have a few years, but yeah. that reality that, these are conversations coming up quickly and very fast. And so, yeah. But you're making this point that's very interesting to me. I don't think I've ever heard it said the way you did. The internet is not your friend here. The university is. So can you open that up for us and tell, tell us what you mean by that? Yeah, for sure. So colleges, bar none, are the single largest providers of scholarship dollars for kids who are going off to school. And it's divided into two separate segments and people hyper-focus on one segment 
and don't really understand the other. So it is need-based money, two buckets of money. Some colleges have both. There are a lot of colleges around the country, though, that only have a need bucket. Okay. And you can think of those schools as the schools that kids are bashing down the doors to get into. Okay. So uh, in your neck of the woods, Duke, right, right. falls into that space. Yeah, right. Um, so those schools, I was liking this, like, think about it this way. Colleges are businesses and they make business decisions. And right. so at the end of the day, if I have kids bashing down the doors, if I had 120,000 applicants last year, there is no reason for me to give away money. I'll give it to kids that I'm super intrigued with who can't afford me, but I have a long list of people who can't wait to pay $78,000, $80,000, $85,000 to come here. Right. And so those schools don't give away money. And so I, I talk to these families all the time. They've got super Sharpie kid, did something really interesting with their high school time frame. It's got all the top marks, right? Top scores on the tests. And they're applying to those schools. And then their strategy for paying for school is scholarship dollars. Okay. Right. Well, you can apply to these schools and get scholarship dollars, not for all those things you just told me about your student. Now, it turns out that lots of people find themselves need-based at those colleges because the price tags are so high. So high. Right, right. So that's one kind of money is need-based money. Lots and lots of families are not going to fall into the need bucket, not because of the assets you have sitting around, but because your household income is just simply too high. Sure. It's the single largest factor. That's the okay. single largest determinant. Right. So if you're not going to be, you're not going to be. You yeah. got to just get over it and move on. Yeah. Right. And what you move on to is understanding how colleges give away scholarship dollars. So big um, state universities, small state universities, tend to give away money based on two things, a GPA, and in many cases, a test score. Okay. And then maybe sports. Sure. Um, so there's a little bit of money there, but mostly the flagship schools and the state schools around the country would cry in their soup and tell you, oh, the states have pulled all our money. We just don't have that much money to give away anymore. But if you look at their endowments, they're in the billions. So, you know, <laughs> the reality is they just don't want to spend that money. Okay. Yeah. Private schools, though, when you start looking at the non-selective groups, they've got kind of a recipe card this year. And every year this is true for. And they're looking for students that help them build a really interesting group of kids on their campus, right? They might want the sport kid plus the music kid plus the arts kid plus the finance brain plus the science kids, right? They want this interesting mix of people. Sure. Also. They want an interesting mix of people from all over the country. Uh, One of the big mistakes I made as a parent, when we started our college search, I told my kids, you can go anywhere you want, as long as you stay in the state of Minnesota and go to a state school. (laughs) I got it. And the reality is I was cutting us off from some of the top scholarship dollars that the colleges can provide. Because it turns out you are more interesting outside of your region than in your region. So when you start looking at all the things that they are interested in, this builds a scholarship package. So those $60,000 price tags don't stay at $60,000. Suddenly you find yourself paying like 30, 32, same price you were going to pay at your local public institution, right? So the colleges hold the key to scholarship dollars. 
people sit their kids in front of computers on scholarship Sunday, two hours, go look for scholarships. And the kid comes up with nothing, right? The kid that got like the $10,000 award, that kid is one in a million. It's like winning the lottery. Okay. It is myth that there is millions of dollars of unclaimed scholarship money. It just simply is myth. And so if you're going to spend time and energy on the internet, spend it researching a school, understanding how does the school gift? Does my kid align with the average student that they take on this campus? Yeah. Am I in fact a little bit above that kid from a GPA perspective? Cause that's going to bring more money. Sure. I think it's really important for people to understand the colleges hold the key. Last year, our senior class garnered more than $23 million from the colleges they applied to in scholarships. Wow. wow. That's incredible. So I, you know, I can hear some of the parents, and maybe this is some of my own argument too. Wait, but Cozy, if my student goes to Duke University versus um, middle of Tennessee private school, aren't they going to come out making like so much more money that it's going to be worth the extra money and debt for them to go to Duke versus some school in Tennessee that not a lot of people have heard of? Yeah, this is such a good question. So I think the key to what you just said is, is it worth the debt? The short answer to that question is no, it's never going to be worth the debt, right? At the end of the day, because that debt lasts with them a really long time. You pay well over what you took out in paying back those student loans. Do those kids make more money? The studies show this in general. At year one, yep, the kids that come out of Duke, Harvard, Yale, Columbia, Northwestern, name your selective school here. Sure. Have a little bit of a head start. When you get to the 10-year mark, interestingly, they have all levels up, right? So whether you went to NC State, yeah, or you went to Rice, if you are doing the same job, you are earning the same money. And that's just the reality. That's such a, probably, I hope that it's hopeful for people to hear that. This is research. This is not Cozy's opinion. This is not Ed's opinion. This is statistical (laughs) research and tracking student progress through careers. And accessibility is not a concern. Like, you can become a management consultant, whether you go to some school that most people have never heard of or Rice. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And if you think about kind of the why would this be true moment, um, who controls wages by and large, right? But our employers, the right. people who employ us, right? And two people doing the same job are earning the same thing, regardless of what their degree said. And by the time you get to the 10-year mark, Nobody cares where you graduated from anymore. It becomes irrelevant because they're much more worried about your work history and performance. And can you do the job now? And the skills that you've learned in those 10 years far supersede anything that you could have learned in the first four years. That's right. That's right. And the other thing I'll say, even in the launching, is if you take two kids, one went to Duke and one went to lowly University of Minnesota. And I say that with humor because it's actually quite a hard school to get into. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, um, just like uh, Chapel Hill is. It, but, it just um, doesn't have the status or cachet, right? right? Right, exactly. You could send a kid to Duke who does nothing with, with their time there, does not take advantage of the opportunities that sit on that campus, 
was the last kid to find their internship, right? That kid is going to struggle getting out of school. Right. Where the kid at University of Minnesota who busted her butt, right, found every scholarship opportunity internal to the university and internal to the program, who decided, I'm going to intern at J.P. Morgan Chase and chase down people to go get that internship, found people who could give her recommendations to get that internship, um, is going to launch and be successful. It's those soft skills, those intangible things, right? It's the internal drive piece that Mm -hmm. really determines people's success in life in general, Mm -hmm. at least as far as I can tell. Um, If you don't have have the internal motivation to to keep going, that's right. Doesn't really matter that much. That's right. And I think, too, um, one of the things that we encourage people to take a look at is who comes and recruits out of the programs that you are interested in? Because stronger than the name on the university is who comes to that campus to recruit out of that program. Because you could have a killer genetics program, and I'm making this up, by the way. Yeah, 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 great. No problem. Quinnipiac, who the vast majority of the country has never heard of Quinnipiac University. Right. But a killer genetics program that might be in the space that a student is really interested in working and they are doing research on their campus and that kid gets insta access as a freshman to the research and being able to participate in the research. Or they could go to a monster university like Duke or Chapel Hill and not get access to that research till they are a senior. Mm -hmm. And Duke's program is intended to have you go get a master's, right? It's not intended to launch. So I think it's really important for people to dive deeper. That is one of the primary things that we do when we work with families is take that student deeper, right? Go deeper and go wider. Think about more things than great campus, cool dorms, and they've got great sports teams to follow, which is how most kids make their decisions. Uh, yeah. You're preaching to the choir here. I think that's, that was mostly my selection criteria. Yeah, I might add where the girl's cute. That would, <laughs> would have definitely been right, up there. Right, right. Or if you're from Minnesota, is it warm? Uh, Right. Yes. Right. Right. Yes. That's, that's true. And, you know, it's not to negate those as important things, but it really is, especially if you have that budding interest in a particular area, let's pick on genetics and some particular type of genetic research. If you can find the university where people are doing that type of research, it's so important. I know I, I never would have imagined I'd end up getting working towards a PhD. I didn't finish the program, but there really came down to only two universities in the whole country that Mm-hmm. had professors actively researching financial therapy. And so, you know, that's that type of clarity came much later in my life, but especially like even a field like psychology that there's plenty of universities that offer psychology. Right. But if you know there's a particular type of psychology or area of applied psychology, trying to find out where those professors are hanging out, better yeah. to land there if you have that kind of foresight. And if not, then let it be a chance to start exploring and figuring out right. what you're interested in. Because this has been an incredible conversation. I'm leaving with more hope about getting my three boys through college. <laughs> um, good. And, you know, my wife and I are fortunate, but it, it, there's still that burden of like, it's a big mess. Even with all my education, both of us are highly educated. And I, I guess maybe this is a parting question is even for those parents that have gone through the college system, which in my mind, I always thought was a little bit of a head start relative to the kids that don't have parents that have navigated the college system. Yeah. 
But would you, the college system is so complex and there's so many things happening behind the scenes that even highly educated parents still, they don't really get a lot of what actually needs to be done or thought through. Is that fair to say? Yeah, for sure. I'll sit down in meetings with um, parents who did not go to college here. And part of the reason that we're having the conversation is because they have this kind of notable understanding that I don't understand the U.S. system. So that's why we're talking to you, Cozy. Yeah. Um, I actually think, what a gift, right? Because they have knowledge of the blindness. Yes. Talk to current families who went to college, right? Both parents are college educated. Right. They think they understand how it works because they presume it worked like it did when they went to school. And the reality of life today, the college landscape, even in the last three years, oh my gosh, changed hugely, giant, giant, giant. And so I actually think sometimes, you know, parents who did not go to school, so they feel that deficit of lack of understanding or or families where the parents didn't go to school here, feel that deficit. Yeah. It's, it's a hindrance when you've got college educated parents because they think they get it. Yes. So many landmines to step on or so many paths to run down. And then you bump into a brick wall and go, shoot, that wasn't, that wasn't the path. That's so humbling. And it's, it's a gentle reminder for those of us that have navigated the college system that you're no longer an expert in the college system by the time that your kids are going to the college system. And even if you did get through the college system, it doesn't mean you knew all the the inner workings. And so someone like Cozy and her team at College Inside Track can be a great partner to help families. Who, you're staying current on all the, the trends and the um, financial issues, but really this nicer package. And I, I'm almost left speechless. So I will end with saying thank you. And are there any parting words you would offer listeners? Yeah, for sure. I think, um, you know, if you have a sophomore or you have a junior in high school and you just want to chat college is what I do every day of my life. I love it. I think high schoolers are amazing when they are armed with great information. They actually make really good decisions. And so um, I'd love for anybody who listens to this podcast, if you want to take advantage of that and just sit down and chat college, I'm game. Let's talk. That is such an empowering message because I also know there's many parents of teenagers that are like fearful and anxious about their teenagers' decision-making capability. And, and you're saying, by and large, the teenagers you meet are impressive individuals. And if you give them the right information and guidance, they, they do land in making some really great decisions. Yeah, that's 100% true. Awesome. Well, Cozy, thank you so much for your time. And I hope you stay warm this winter. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much. Uh, that's a blessing, but uh, probably not, not for sure. <laughs> the Minnesota thing. Thanks for having me, Ed. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. I invite you now to stop for five or 10 minutes and reflect on what you just heard. Maybe even journal about it. Give yourself the time to consider what you just heard and what it means to you. By giving yourself the time to reflect and integrate what you just heard, it will help you along your journey of learning, healing, and growing towards financial intimacy in your life. Please like and follow this podcast and share with someone that would benefit from being on the journey of financial intimacy. Wishing you healthy love and money. Ed. Ed.